Our Old Testament passage is from Isaiah. Of course, that comfort, comfort you, my people line is from Isaiah. And you will notice that it talked about the herald, a word we will find in our passage in the New Testament. We'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. Again, this is the one of the references to our Savior's resurrection. Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Since the reading of the Old Testament, we turn now to the New Testament passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, and I'm going to be reading through verse 19 for context. We'll focus on the earlier part in the sermon. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that, the, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not. We testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Sends a reading of God's holy word. The grass withers, but the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever.
Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father, we thank You for giving us the Gospel and for giving us this Gospel of the death for us and resurrection of Christ for us that we might have hope. Help us now, O Lord, in our meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth to be pleasing in Your sight, our Rock and our Redeemer. We pray to You in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as it turns out, this is the second of a two-part sermon series. It's a small series, two weeks long, and this is the second. And it's on confession of faith. So we had the Nicene Creed, and the one thing that is vital in our church is you only do things in worship that Scripture teaches. This is the warrant for professing the faith right here. This is a confession of faith in 1 Corinthians 15. This is why we do that. We do that because Scripture warrants it. Now, that being said, you'll notice that the Nicene Creed that we read has picked up the three most important parts of the Gospel that Paul deals with here. Notice he says in verse 3, I deliver to you what first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That language is more or less repeated verbatim in the Nicene Creed. That's what we profess. It's the substance of Scripture only. It's got to be taught in Scripture for us to make a confession of faith. And the Nicene Creed has stood the test of time as being biblical in its content. Now, that being said... There are many people who deny this. So, it's not quite as obvious anymore, perhaps, but there are still people out there who deny that Christ was raised from the dead. Some people even believing that he was, he's a fictional character or that much about him has just been invented by the church. This is a very serious accusation that you have to take seriously as a Christian. You have to find out if that's solid truth or not. This is not new. Let me read to you from a guy named Gaius Plinius Secundus. I like Roman names. Secundus means son number two. Primus, son one. Secundus, son two. It goes on. (laughs) Tertius, son three. It goes all the way up, I know, son eight. Not very inventive, but this is plenty of secundus. But here's what he says. Not even for God are all things possible, for he cannot even, if he wishes, bestow everlasting life on mortals or recall the dead. God can't do that. He can't resurrect anybody. I like these Romans. That's the way it is. Okay. Is there any reason why you believe that? Is there some basis in making a statement like that? He doesn't give it. To him, it's just obvious. It doesn't need to be defended. That's when your antenna go up. Children, you've got them. Your antenna go up and you say, there's something fishy about that. If he doesn't prove it, I don't know. I've got to see evidence for that flat-out denial. 
There was, when I was younger, a popular book called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross by a pretty prominent scholar, not of the New Testament, but of related field, uh, named John Allegro. And he, he wrote this book, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. And his argument is that Jesus and his followers were using psilocybin mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms. This is in 1970, okay? He wrote this in 1970, so let's, you know, this, this is the context. Jesus was taking magic mushrooms, and his disciples simply hallucinated. In fact, this scholar says Jesus probably didn't exist. They just made him up in their psychedelic haze. Well, it didn't go well for this scholar as soon as he published because most people thought he was on mushrooms. <laughs> and my, I don't know, I don't, I'm not going to say anything. But I can tell you this, the book made a very brief puff of publicity and fame and then he basically quit his job and who knows where he ended up. He's no longer alive. The book was republished in the early 2000s, but no one noticed, frankly. But it's still out there. This is the kind of thing that people say about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how they try to defend their unbelief. Magic mushrooms. Well, it's not new. Matthew 28, 11-15, the guards go to the leaders of Israel who had put a guard on Jesus' tomb because they knew that Jesus said he was going to be raised from the dead on the third day. And they said, we got to prevent that because obviously his disciples are going to come and steal the body. So they put a guard on the tomb. <sighs> Didn't do much good. You read Matthew 28, children, and there was an angel there. Interesting, this angel appears... And these guards fall down like dead men, but he, the angel doesn't talk to them. He talks to the followers of Jesus, the women there. And he tells them, why are you standing here? He's been raised from the dead. Go to the disciples and tell them. But he doesn't talk to the guards. They're just furniture. Well, the guards get up, and some of them go to the leaders of Israel, and they say, this is what happened. This was really, this is something. We saw this angel, and the leaders of Israel said, oh, we'll give you money. You tell people that the disciples came and stole away the body while we slept. A guard sleeping? <laughs> they don't take it well when guards sleep and things happen, okay? They usually kill people. They kill the guards in that day. Oh, we'll, we'll take care of it. You're fine. The disciples stole the body... Why? What benefit? What advantage is it? Because they lived a life of suffering and persecution as a result of their faith in the risen Christ. Where's the benefit? None of them got rich. None of them prospered in this world. They all suffered for their faith in Christ. This is just not a good argument. And then you have 1 Corinthians 15. I read the context because, look, Paul in verse 12, he actually says it twice. In verse 12 and later, he says, 
How is it that some of you are saying there's no resurrection of the dead? How is it that some of you are saying that? Because if you say there's no resurrection of our dead brothers and sisters who believe in Christ, you are by implication saying that Christ was not raised. Now, they may not have said that. Yeah, he was raised. It's nice for him. But the rest of us, eh, we just die. See, that, that, that was a view that's floating around. And Paul says, no. He was raised as the firstborn from the dead. Among many of you, all of you who hold to Christ, you will be raised too. That's what his resurrection represents. He's firstborn from the dead. Among many. And you will follow. Your resurrection is tied to his resurrection. This is why Easter is so important. He he is raised because you will be raised from the dead in Christ Jesus. That's what his resurrection represents. And why Paul is so adamant about this. Now let's look at this passage a little more carefully. Going to verse 15, verses 1. I'll just be looking at the first part of this passage 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and following, and then I'm going to end up in verse 11 and more or less skip what Paul says about himself. That would really be a sermon in itself. But look at what he says. 15, verse 1. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. This is not the normal word for remind. There's another word that you use normally to mean remind. This is a word used for make known something that they haven't known. It's used, for example, in Romans 16 where God is making known the basics of the gospel throughout the whole world. Paul uses it all the time to say, I'm going to make this known to you. It's something you obviously don't know. You see, it's it's to make known the gospel. And notice this is what he says. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Now, they're translated remind because they have heard the gospel, but he's treating them as if they haven't heard. That they were like this when he preached the gospel. They weren't listening. So he basically is evangelizing these people. If you deny the basics of the gospel, Paul is not certain that you are a believer in Christ. You have to believe this. You have to believe the essentials of the gospel. Otherwise, basically, you have to be re-evangelized. You have to go back to the beginning and start over with the basics and believe them for eternal life. Every Lord's Day, we do that. You see a proclamation of the death and resurrection of our Lord in the Lord's Supper. This is something we have to come back to over and over. Now, I'm not accusing you of having the fault that these people had. I'm not accusing you of that. But if it's true, you need to be brought back to the essential foundation of the Christian faith. Because they needed to persevere in the Christian faith. Perseverance in this faith in Christ is essential. 
And it's by the power of God. It's by faith, which means trusting Him to give you the strength to weather the trials of life so that you can be a disciple of Christ all of your days. You don't trust in your own strength. That's why we believe in Him. He's strong. He was raised. He's the source of life. And there is our life in Him. And faith rests on Him. But faith also knows things. You have to know who you put your faith in. You have to know things about Him. Paul says, here's the authentic faith. The authentic faith is in Christ died for our sins. He didn't die for His sins. I'm reading verse 3. He died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Then he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Those are the three things that Paul identifies as the foundation of the faith. And he says you've got to hold to these things and persevere in in that faith, because that's the Christian faith. Now, perseverance is not guaranteed to everybody Jesus tells a parable of the soils in Matthew 13. Some seed, he says a seed is the word of the kingdom. Some seed falls along a pathway and it doesn't even spring up. Some seed falls in rocky ground and there's no depth of soil. And it springs up for a time and then falls away once the trials of life come. And another seed falls in a place where the desire for worldly power and wealth and other such worldly pleasures, those things choke out. It's among weeds. They choke out the seed. So you have to persevere. You have to look to your life to see that you are a believer in Christ, holding fast to the truths of the gospel, growing in this faith contributing to your faith by loving the Lord with heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, and sharing it with fellow Christians, as here. This is, this is what the Lord taught us. And Paul says, this is of first importance. Verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. These are foundational truths. These are the fundamental truths of Christianity. These three things we mentioned. And notice it says he was buried. Now, ancient people knew about death, okay? There are no undertakers back then. The family took care of dead people. And one in two children died before the age of five in the ancient world. Half, half of the children in the ancient world, on average, died before the age of five. They knew death. They saw it in their life firsthand. So when it says that Jesus died, they knew what death looks like because they buried him. They bury people that are dead. And you know why it says on the third day? We actually sang it in one of those ancient hymns. It talks about the watchers. That's a Jewish custom, watching the gravesite. 
You see, the, the women are there at the gravesite because it's typical Jewish custom that developed later, but it's practiced in that day, to watch for three days when somebody dies in case they come back to life. So they're listening at the tomb to see if he starts shouting, hey, let me out of here, I'm alive. Three days is how long it takes for them to know for sure the person is dead. So that's why he was buried for three days and then he's raised. So that everybody would know he was actually dead. There's no doubt he actually died. And then he was raised from the dead. He didn't just, he wasn't just resuscitated. These people knew about death. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. Isaiah 53, Psalm 16, Hosea 6, Luke 24. Jesus takes his disciples through a quick overview of all the scriptures about himself. Oh, we want to see that. This is on the road to Emmaus. And he says to the disciples, let's go through the scriptures. How the Christ must suffer and be raised and ascend to heaven. Let's look at the scriptures together on that. This is why Paul says, according to the scriptures, this is what scripture teaches. And if you want that course, read the New Testament. If you want that course easy, read Matthew. One of the most common, th- one of the most common phrases in Matthew is, this happened in accordance with the scripture when it says, then he quotes the Old Testament. Just like 20 times. He, Matthew wants you to see the scriptures being fulfilled in Christ. Just go through Matthew. Time and again, this was to fulfill that which was spoken by the prophet when he said, quote, but you get that a lot of other places. So we didn't have to be there on the road to Emmaus. We have our, we have our lesson on that from Matthew and other places. Luke as well, of course. Now, notice these three words here. He died for our sins. He was buried. Those are simple historical past events. Those are just things that happened. When you went to the baseball game and they asked you to throw the first pitch, what did you do? I threw the pitch. How many times? Well, once. Come on. I just threw the pitch. Once you throw the pitch, you you threw it. That's what we're dealing with here. He died. He was buried. Simply happened. But not the third one. Raised from the dead? That's a different form. And the form means he was raised and is now raised. He was raised and is now resurrected. The implication is the resurrection itself simply happened, but there's, an, there's a repercussion for it for him. This is a very common thing in the language of the New Testament. And this is the form used here. He, and you could even translate this. You'll find some of your English versions render this with a present tense. He is raised. And that's what they mean. They're trying to bring out the fact that there's a current thing. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus is now raised. He is now resurrected, never to die again. 
Eternal life is his forever, as it will be yours. It's not something that happened like Lazarus, where he was raised from the dead, but then he died again. Not with Jesus. He has been raised from the dead to live everlastingly. You want to see that? You keep reading in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about that. How much time we got? (laughs) Well, not that much time. Okay, calm down. I know you panicked. We won't go there. I would like to, because it's glory. It's glory what Paul says about the resurrection and you. But this is what he's getting at. Christ was raised. Now, I read that last part at the end. You know, we have all people are most to be pitied. This is not some guy making it up. He sees the implication if he's wrong. The implication is, why am I suffering all this stuff? We are of all people most to be pitied. We're dead in our sins, and we're just going to die. We should eat, drink, and be merry if I'm wrong. That's that's not someone who is self-deceived and is following a myth. This is someone who knows how to investigate history. Because, brothers and sisters, the resurrection is established by simple history. You can't put it to the test in a lab with a test tube. It's just not that kind of event. It's an event like in a courtroom where you're establishing something with witnesses. You bring forward the witnesses and you say, what did you see? What happened? And they testify. And notice what Paul does. He brings forth the witnesses. You've got the apostles. You've got Peter, Cephas. And you've got 5,000 people, many of whom are still alive. You want to check this out? They're still around. You can talk to them. And then Paul says, me too. I saw him raised from the dead. I was an unbeliever. I was a persecutor of the church. I had nothing to gain. I hated him. And then I saw him. This is testimony. This is how you establish the resurrection. These people that, you know, who just doubted and waved their hand and come up with all these cockamamie ideas of mushrooms and all that, they have no witnesses to that. They're just making it up. There's no witnesses. There's no evidence that this was a mushroom cult, none whatsoever. They just make it up. I don't say that lightly. I've taken that seriously. I've applied a lot of work and effort over the last, however long it's been, 40 years, to history, to studying this stuff, to putting it to the test. And I'm convinced the evidence is solid. It's as solid as anything you can get in this human life. It is testimony to be believed. Testimony to rest your life on. I rest my life on it. And you rest your life on it. And you will not be disappointed. We read that stuff in the Old Testament. God said, I'm going to do this. And then he did it. It shouldn't be any surprise that Christ was raised from the dead. 
He, he opened the gates of hell in the pit where we were lost. And He raised our Savior from that same death for our sake. The resurrection is true. So Paul says, I received this and I delivered it to you. Brothers and sisters, today I am announcing to you what I received by the authority of the Word of God. Christ is risen. As Paul received it from the risen Christ, this has been handed down generation to generation from people who have looked at the evidence, who have heard the Word of God, who have believed in Christ. We sang songs from many of them. Did you notice that one of those songs from the 1600s, one from the 1300s, the uh, Nicene Creed from the 300s, these are a long chain of people who've been convinced that Easter is no myth, no figment of people's imagination. It is the truth. And He's been raised for us according to the Scriptures. We have life in Him. This is why you have preaching every Lord's Day. And why you have preaching is from the Scripture. The scripture alone is where we find the deposit of the faith passed down from generation to generation by the authority of the Word of God so that your faith might be in God through Christ Jesus our Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what makes it effective and powerful for us. That we may live our life. Because we don't wink at the problems of life. We don't put blinders on and say, oh, you know, it's all rosy. It's not all rosy. Wasn't rosy for Paul? Not necessarily going to be rosy for you. Oh, you'll have much joy. You'll have much peace. You'll have peace that passes understanding. But you, next generation, this deposit is passed down to you too. That this next generation, if the Lord tarries, will stand firm upon the truth that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried and raised on the third day from the dead, according to the Scriptures, that our faith might be, not be in vain for everlasting life in his name. Amen.